Next Chapter Podcasts. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When I put this album on and this is how it opened, I knew this album was going to rip. I love everything about this song. It's Strictly Business by EPMD off their 1987 album of the same name. It's also number 453 out of 500 on the Spotify original, The 500 with Josh Adam Myers. What's up, Kadookish Plookies? Fleece Army, at ease. Hope you guys are having a good week. Hope you guys did your homework. Because we are going through Rolling Stone Magazine's list of the 500 greatest albums. Uh, Big week for me, everybody. I just got back from Just for Laughs 42 in Toronto. We did a live taping with the man, with the plan, probably one of the funniest dudes I know, Dan Soder from Billions, from The Bonfire. Such a good friend. So hilarious. And we broke down... Probably the most pretentious album we're going to do on this list, which is Synchronicity by The Police. It, it went incredible. Super funny. You guys are going to love this episode. I can't wait for you to hear it. But I want to give a huge, huge thank you to Donna, Nick, Matthew, Thomas, and Sophia, and also Sophia's lovely mother who we met on the street for all coming out and for bringing us to JFL Toronto. I love you guys. I mean this from the bottom of my heart. The festival was a complete success. Every show that I did was great. I opened up for Soda two nights. I had a full-on, like, fleece. Dude, it was the most fleecy festival I've ever been to. I do want to give some shout-outs, though. Not just the staff. I want to give a shout-out to the Fleece Army and the Feasters that came to visit. I want to give a shout-out to Neil Rogers with his 25 albums that are not on the list that he has an opinion about. I fucking love you. He drove, like, or trained, like, five hours to get there. To Mark Hodgkinson. I hope I said your name right because I love you. He came out with his foot's, like, about to fall off, and he, and he fucking skipped work so he could come. To my boy Dave Bastian, to Jonathan Shioviti and his lovely girlfriend of nine years, Mary, that incredibly cute Ecuadorian girl. She is awesome. Also, the man, the myth, the dude that runs at 160 miles per hour and will show you every picture in his phone, my boy Evan Bud. 
thank you for all that you guys do for coming out to support the 500 for being in the police army it means the world to me to all the people that are doing the instagram stories keep doing them guys take a screenshot of how you're listening to the 500 and tag me at josh adam myers throw a little hashtag 500 podcast and then why not Hashtag the Fleece Army. You're a part of it. I'm giving everybody like rankings in it. So, you know, dude, if you haven't gotten a ranking in the Fleece Army, message me, do some sort of promotion, and I will give you a ranking. All right, we got a Funkadelic, Kashpelic, Manelic album this week. God, did I sound like a radio DJ? We got a Funkadelic, Kashpelic, Kontelic album this week. So, Joshy, why don't you read what Morty wrote and tell everybody about it? Released on June 7th, 1988, Strictly Business is the self-produced debut album by the Brentwood, Long Island, New York hip-hop duo EPMD. Now, I bet you're all wondering what EPMD stands for. The E and the P in their name stands for Eric E. Double Sermon and Parrish PMD Smith, and the MD stands for making them dollars. A year prior, in 1987, EPMD was signed to Sleeping Bag Records, a boutique dance label that also had Mantronics. Dude, wait till we talk about Mantronics in this episode. Nice and Smooth, Craig Mack, and KRS-One. The group only put out one 12-inch single. It was called It's My Thing with You Are a Customer on the flip side. But as they were managed by Russell Simmons' Rush Management, it allowed them to tour with Run DMC, Big Daddy Kane, and DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince. When they came back, they were ready to get down to the business of making an album. And they ran a tight operation. According to Eric Sermon, that included recording every song on one microphone in a single take with no overdubs. Besides producing Strictly Business themselves, it also features no other guests or musicians other than their DJ K. LaBoss on Scratches. On this album, EPMD were strictly sample based, rapping over looped layers of uncleared beats and hooks from old rock and funk records. And while their contemporaries were using verbal gymnastic wordplay and presenting themselves as tough guys, EPMD were delivering straightforward, easygoing party rockers with relatable lyrics full of memorably quotable lines. But don't mistake them for being soft. There's a bunch of tracks on this record where they diss rappers they deemed unworthy or, as they would say, whack. Although Strictly Business only went to number 80 on the Billboard charts, it went gold about four months after its release. And my guest today knows more about this record than what I just told you. You know him from Better Call Saul. You know him from his one-hour special, You Let Me Down. Or maybe you know him from his two podcasts, We'll See You in Hell and Uninformed with Bill Burr, the one and only Joe DeRosa. I love this man to death. He's one of my best friends, and it was an honor. I wish every guest came with so much knowledge that Joe did because we could have just fucked the format and just talked and talked and talked. Rate, review, and most importantly, subscribe to the 500 and listen free on Spotify, Fleece Army, Spot Toe Fi, actually Spot T Fi, or anywhere you get your pods. Follow me at Josh Adam Myers on all social media. Email the podcast at 500podcast at gmail.com. And for all things 500, go to the website, the500podcast.com. Well, nothing left to say, but here we go. 
with number 453 out of 500 with Strictly Business by EPMD. He's Joe DeRosa. He's got Joe DeRosa. He's Joe DeRosa. He's going to shoot someone after his day. <laughs> it's uh, been a rough day. It has been a rough day. But now we get to talk about one of your obsessions. So you have an EPMD boner. When I went through this list and you said to me what record I was like, and I was, and I saw EPMD, you immediately jumped on it. Like, yeah. When did you first fall in love with EPMD? Uh, the second record, Unfinished Business, which is not the one we're talking about today. We're talking about Strictly Business. Yes, we are. Uh, but Unfinished Business, the first single off that record that I heard, I think it was the first single in general, was So What You Saying, and uh, I heard it on Yom TV. I saw the video on Yom TV Raps, and it was just like one of those like rap songs as the first time I heard it, I was like, this is... Holy shit. One of the greatest songs I'd ever heard. And, uh, you know, I was a kid, but... How old are you at this 40, time? Well, at the time, <laughs> not 43. Bad, not no, bad. Yeah, you, no, I'm 40. You're quick to go to like 43. All right. <laughs> no, I'm 42 now. Uh, I was probably um, oh, it's 12, 11, somewhere in there. Is, this, is that when your fascination with hip-hop? Because it's just knowing you and having known you for almost 10 years now, like, it still blows my mind how deep your love of hip-hop goes it started before that i was already a big fan uh my 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 fascination with and fandom with hip-hop started in fourth grade with run dmc when i got raising hell that was my first record yeah that was my first record i was in fuck i want to say like kindergarten or first grade i'd say about first grade yeah i think i was in fourth grade when i got it I, i i don't know how close to then it actually came out but it wasn't that far off. I think it came out in 84, and I was in fourth grade in 80, probably 86-ish, somewhere in there. So I probably, you know, it had been out, but it was just starting to break into the mainstream with um, with uh, 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 Walk This Way. You know, that was sort of captivating the mainstream MTV audience and, and then was, you saw it as a little kid and we're immediately like I, this is this is the music I fuck with like I'm drawn which just, uh, just I, I liked it before walk this way so you just look like a Toto fan do you know <laughs> what I mean you got that yacht rock look maybe you listen to some Elvis Costello because of the glasses right right you know yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah, you, yeah. you're like I could imagine like you you got a Toto look but like oh, the dude, dog I mean <laughs> <laughs> No, but uh, yeah, I, look, I from a very young age, I, I felt uh, out of step with my surroundings and the people that were around me. And uh, rap music at a very young age spoke to me because I, 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 vis- I viscerally locked on to the uh, rebelliousness of it. Um, and I didn't know that that's what it was at the time. I just knew I really liked it, and it really resonated with me. I mean, I just loved dudes throwing their dicks around. I loved it, you know? It was like no... But that's res- all that EPMD really is on this record, is just them throwing dick. Yeah, it's a lot of, it's <laughs> a a lot lot of, of bravado. I love it, you know? I mean, I mean, that's hip-hop to me. Hard punchlines, smart rhymes, 
uh, great beats, catchy hooks, DJ Cutting. Like, that's, to me, it doesn't get better than that. And the, my favorite groups do that. The Beat Nuts do that. You know, uh, Run DMC did that. Uh, EPMD is my all-time favorite. They certainly do it. Um, it's just what I like. So, um, but the lyrics in Unfinished, in, in So What You're Saying from Unfinished Business really got me going because it was like, you know, I'm known to be the master in the MC field. No respect in 87, 88, you kneeled. Like, I just loved that kind of swagger. You know, uh, dropped the album Strictly Business and you thought we was bold. 30 days later, the LP went gold. So what you saying? Like, it's just like, it's these are such great, like, fuck you lines. Yeah, dude. Um, you know, so I just got chill saying it. Um, so I said to my cousin, John, why is it called unfinished business and he said well because their first record's called strictly business and this this has i we he was we were dumb kids he didn't phrase it correctly <laughs> but basically what he told me was this has elements of the first record on it you know they sample themselves and you know and they re quote things and whatever and that was the first that i'd ever heard of a musician doing that you know uh, in my life um so the whole conceptual thing about it was cool. So then I went back and I got Strictly Business. And I loved it. You know, I loved it. And I could hear, even at that time, I could hear the way the group had matured from one record to the next. Yeah. I, I remember as a kid hearing that they sampled I Shot the Sheriff and then saying, and then the specification being made that they didn't sample the Bob Marley version, they sampled the Eric Clapton version. And as a young, for all intents and purposes, white kid, even though technically I'm not, but for all intents and purposes, you look white. yeah, yeah, <laughs> you pass. Yeah. So, so my non. You're not getting cast in Argo, yeah. bro. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. Maybe one of the guys that no, tried I, to I'm, escape from the embassy, but you're not. I'm aware. <laughs> my my non-racist liberal friends like to tell me how I pass for white, <laughs> and then in the next breath, tell me they're not racist. Anyway, um, Love you. Uh, that's L.A. Uh, anyway, the um, I remember as a young kid, who, again, white for all intents and purposes, f feeling hopeful. As a fan of the music, hearing that, that maybe I could be accepted by people that made this music because it was so from a different place. And I very much grew up looking at it like that's not for me, you know, that's not that. I mean, it's for me to enjoy, but it's not for me to be, ever be a part of in any yeah. way. And when I heard that, I was like, oh, these guys that I look up to and admire doing this music, they appreciate all music. It's not just. I mean, it was crazy when Run DMC hooked up with Aerosmith, but Aerosmith was still Aerosmith. Yeah, they were pretty big. It was pretty strange and interesting to me. Even as a young kid, I knew like Eric Clapton was a much deeper cut for a rapper to sample. You know what I mean? This was not, this was not a big classic rock hit. People know I shot the sheriff, but I mean, it it, it does not get the play that Walk This Way does. No, not at all. So, um, well, I think it, you know, not to cut yeah. you off, but I think it's because there wasn't a lot of rap to be influenced by, by prior to this. There was funk, and there were the elements of like jazz and the shit that they probably grew up with. But at the same time, the popular music was the popular music for everybody. Whatever was played on the radio was played on the radio. It's not like we have Spotify like we have now. Big shout out to Spotify. But well, and you get it, right? And EPMD, and then, then this starts now the lo my love affair with EPMD's taste for samples. And, and, and Eric and Parrish's production of Beats. DJ Scratch, too. I'm not leaving him out. But most of the EPMD records were Eric and Parrish. And, um, 
they had just an amazing fucking ear. And that's exactly why guys like Snoop Dogg, I mean, EPMD is respected oh, across the game. Dude, it, you know, it, it's but. one of my favorite tracks that I used to play at bar mitzvahs and weddings was <laughs> was just, uh, was music. You know, when he yeah. sampled Marvin Gaye's Just Like Music. Yeah. yeah. And it got loved it, and everybody dug it. It won, but not only just won a Grammy. I'm playing it at the most Jewish of Jewish bar mitzvahs and the most whitest of white weddings, uh, because you know there is no way that I'm DJing a a black or Latino (laughs) wedding because they'd look at me and go, "Get this guy fucking out of here." Yeah, he's gonna he's gonna play more bounce to the ounce. No, (laughs) they're just they're just the best to have ever done it, man. And they appreciate their fans. I've written to both of them, and they've they've always responded. (laughs) What did you say to them? What did you say? They were talking about it was the anniversary of Business Never Personal, which was the last record. That was the fourth record, and it was the last one before they broke up and got back together again. And they were just tweeting something that it was the anniversary of that record. And I wrote back to EPMD, and I said, a classic, my favorite rap lyric of all time is from this record. And it's it's Parrish Smith goes, no static with Uncle Sam, I got mad loot. And when that line dropped, that was still like when um, very politically charged hip hop was still p- being played in the mainstream. You know, you'd still hear Public Enemy on the radio, and not yeah. that there was any beef with them in Public Enemy or th- or them in Conscious Rap because they did some Conscious tracks. But I just loved the swagger of a dude coming out in the middle of like that sort of era of, you know, fuck America. What have you ever done for me? And just going, no static with Uncle Sam, I got mad loot. <laughs> I was like... This is Krista Makes, guitarist and vocalist for Less Than Jake, and host of Krista Makes a Podcast, a songwriting podcast where every week I'm joined by an amazing guest to break down the writing, recording, and release of one iconic song from their career. In our giant evergreen back catalog of episodes, we've had rock legends such as Dee Snyder and Huey Lewis, punk rock favorites like Mark Hoppus, Fat Mike, and Brett Gurowitz, and up-and-coming artists of today such as Liz Stokes of The Beths and Genesis Owusu. We've had guests from all genres and styles of music, and I guarantee that if you peruse our back catalog, you'll see several episodes that'll make you say, man, I gotta hear that. Whether you're a fan of music or a creator of music yourself, you'll take away a whole new appreciation for the songs you know and love. Chris Makes a Podcast is available for free on all the places you could possibly listen to podcasts. And new episodes come out every Monday. Hi, this is Chad Nicefield. And this is Justin Press. We're the host of Making Waves, the Shiprock Podcast, a part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. We're inviting you to sail away with us on an epic journey in musical enlightenment. Every week, we bring you only the best artists in rock music and discuss everything from the cruise to the stage to the saga of being a professional recording artist. We'll have lots of special guests along the way, so tune in every week. Your stateroom is available every Monday morning, so welcome aboard. Because that's yeah. what hip hop. That's when hip hop's at its best. When it's when it's just. I'm gonna say the thing you never would expect me to say right now. One of my favorite lines ever is from the Serial Killers' second record, which is "Be Real," Defar. I think it's Defari. I think and um and and uh, Exhibit. And uh, Exhibit goes, I'm here to have a ball like Kavanaugh. I like beer. And I was like, he dropped that like a week after the fucking trial. And I was just like. That to me is hip hop. Yeah, I'm gonna come out and say 
one of the most audacious fucking things I can think of right now. That's why Eminem was awesome. Yeah. Because it was just crazy. He was just saying everything that everybody was thinking. I mean, it's you know, like. NWA, Cube, like everybody, man. It was just, you know, Ice T. Snow, Informer. Like, <laughs> yeah. he was great. Yeah. Fucking. <laughs> let's, let's dive into the record. Let's get into some tracks, okay? Sure. The album starts with the title track "Strictly Business," and I and I just wrote, "What a great way to start the record." So we, we I sang you in this way over several samples, but probably the most recognizable one is Eric Clapton's version of Bob Marley's "I Shot the Sheriff." Uh, what what blew my mind uh, was was just the beat. Play uh, minute three oh five. I did. Or the PMD. We drive the Corvette. I drive a summer Suzuki. I'm a locksmith with the key to fame. Never harm myself. Always did the same. Play a lot because I'm hot like a horse I try. What a fucking simpler time when you could boast about owning a Suzuki Samurai. Yeah. And that shit was respected, dude. And what's so funny is you coming up short. I got my Ford Escort. PMD. <laughs> he goes. PMD's got a Corvette. I, I drive a samurai. <laughs> that's a that's a there's a disparity there between those. No, two I understand, cards. but dude, but that's, even, a, even funny. a Corvette isn't even that like that's not even that baller. I mean, it's a nice car, but as what Seinfeld said, Corvettes can go fuck themselves or some shit. I, I mean, like, it's definitely. Well, I mean, it may. It, I've often questioned that lyric. I'm like, were samurai Suzuki's fancier than I remember them being? No, no. Right, I mean, Corvette Dude, was definitely a better car. Four songs right? from now, he's like, "I got these girls hanging from my mammary. Step in, girl. I got a brand new Camry." <laughs> oh God. Um, <laughs> what? So this is uh, this is all this is just, in my opinion, uh, for for uh, for a fan that's really never heard of EPMD. So some of my, yeah. some of the Fleece Army that's probably listening, this is a great way to be introduced to EPMD because it's everything. It's got the great beat. It's got the boast lyrics we kind of talked about it at the beginning but how do you really feel about the direction that hip-hop has gone from this to Lil Uzi Vert like how do you feel about that I haven't listened to Little Uzi Vert. What's well, his name? Little Uzi Vert. It's all right. Well, uh, like I don't really future or it could be Migos. It could be any of the pop. I liked. I liked. I liked some of the Odd Future stuff. The, odd Future, but I, f- I still feel is hip hop. They're still yeah. within that realm in the lyrical ability, I, but they're not. Yeah. They're not mass. They're big, but they're still underground. They're like our Wu Tang. I mean, what's his face is pretty big, but they're like our Wu Tang. They're not yeah, like they're yeah. not Drake. No, and I like Drake. I think Drake. I, I think Drake's a good rapper. His style of music isn't isn't my thing but i think drake's a good rapper uh i like look i like schoolboy q i like I do uh, like schoolboy q yeah, yeah like like there are guys that are doing it i mean but i still only listen like i couldn't tell you everybody right now is talking about fucking takashi oh but he's just because he's in jail like if your name everybody if your name is letters that shouldn't be next to each other and you have like emojis in your fucking spelling and shit. I, yeah. I don't. I can't fuck with it. So like Takashi six nine, uh, like I just can't. I, I don't. It's it's not for me. It's not for me. And it's got too much. It's it's one thing to. I mean Takashi's a fucking punk. I mean everybody's. We all know that now because yeah. he's rolling over on everybody. But I mean, back before any of that happened, I I didn't like him because I was just like, I, this dude is just for a guy that for for me a guy that likes music where people kind of hold their dicks a little bit. He was holding it a little too much, and it didn't seem he didn't seem like a dude that had any dirt on him. 
He just seemed like a dude that was really fucking careless and really wild and didn't appreciate shit. And I think that that's now proven by the way he's rolling the fuck over on everybody. You know what I mean? And the rappers I like, there's there's some... There's a there's a humility that comes from understanding that shit can get deep. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like it's like it's for all the shit that Eminem talks. There's the other side of Eminem where he's like, I know what the fuck it's like to starve. You know what I mean? I know what it's like to get the fucking shit kicked out of me. Like you know, and I and a guy like Takashi. I mean, because he keep, you know he, he's starving because he kept throwing up mom's spaghetti. <laughs> <laughs> You know, but like it's like a guy like that doesn't really it's it's about it's all about him. It's not about the art, it's not about the music, it's not about the code, it's not about you know, it's it's like it's honestly it's a lot like what's happened to to the mob. You know, and I'm a fan of mob history and and I like documentaries about the mob and all that shit. And it's always the same thing. Like they, they by the end of every mob documentary, they're like, "Yeah, that guy wrote a book cuz that's what the fucking mob is now." And it's like, you know, it's like it just you could say what you want. The, the, the mob, it was riddled with gangsters and crime and murder and everything else. But there was a code, and you followed the code. And if you respected the code, you got ahead. And the guys that didn't, got they were... Yeah. So I, I think I'm, I'm... I guess I'm old school enough that crime or not crime, I, I respect the following of the code. No, I get it. There's shit you don't do. And hip hop, hip hop is. Do you think they're following the code now? Well, that's what I mean. With a guy like to, I'm, I mean, I'm not trying to just single him out, but a guy like it sounds him, like you're singling him out. Is, is he about to rat your ass out right now? It's probably. Like, he's probably talk, telling he's like, us right when now. Yo, and Joe DeRosa once stole a Snickers bar from the Seven Eleven on the corner of Vermont but, and Vermont and Franklin. But you know, like Sean Price is one of my favorite rappers. So he was part of Boot Camp Clip. He he died, so rest in peace. But but Sean Price is one of my favorite rappers, and he'll. He'll talk raw as shit, and he'll get very flippant, but then he'll also end a verse with, like, I'm Sean Price, the brokest rapper you know. You know what I mean? And he'll talk about, went back to selling crack, you know, when something didn't work. You know, like, he just has the struggle in him. And I'm not saying it has to be, I sold crack struggle, or, you know, or, or I lived in poverty struggle. It's just, but, but struggle is important for a music that comes, that is born out of rebellion. And born out of commentary and, and having its ear to the, the pulse of, of, a, of a certain uh, neighborhood and a certain experience. That's why country, new country stinks. Yeah, nobody's, there's, there's no depth to it whatsoever. Nobody's respect to Kiefer Sutherland. I love him as an actor. Hardcore country fans are not going, man, that Kiefer Sutherland. Because it's Kiefer Sutherland. You know what I mean? But you're talking about the old... You talk about Johnny Cash. It's like, even when this dude was rich, he was struggling. Yeah, he was fucking strung out or, on pills yeah. and emaciated and trying to keep his fucking life together and just a mess. Like, you know what I mean? It's like, you know, the classic hip-hop line. It's not where you're from, it's where you're at, you know? It's like, it doesn't matter. It's like, just... But as long as you're being re real and you're presenting yourself in, in a respectful fashion... Which is why a guy like Eminem gets accepted and a guy like Vanilla Ice doesn't. Yeah. You know what I mean? Why the Beastie Boys got accepted. They were accepted, you know? Uh, but people had problems with other certain white rappers coming in because they didn't respect the fucking code. You got to respect the code. All right, that brings us into probably my favorite track on the record, uh, I'm Housing. Play the opening. Play it. Play it. Play it. Play it. Play it. Is a world for me. 
I like any song that has a cowbell in it. That, yeah. That's that's something I just fucking love. And that cowbell just adds, it's so faint in the background, but it just got me to vibe. This track, uh, Rage Against the Machine cover. Oh, yeah. On the Renegades record. I mean, that's that's how you know that it's it's in that vein of, like, realness because, you know, Tom Morello and Zach De La Roca aren't going to cover something that they think is fucking, right. you know, like, not cool. <clears throat> My favorite uh, lyric from this is, Cooling on the scene like a horse in a stable, a brother got ill and tried to snatch a fat cable. Mm-hmm. What I love about the way that they rap is that it's so matter of fact. Like they're just telling you, you know, there's not so much hyperbole. It's just they're they're just literally he could be like, I'm lying awake in bed trying to eat a turkey sandwich on wheat bread. <laughs> it's just but it's still fucking ill. Yeah, my favorite line is Eric when he goes, uh, what a way to go out, out like a sucker, but I'm on track like a Long Island train conductor because it just, the conductor, it locks right with the drum fill. It's just such a good, it's just such a good way to come into the song. No, this is a great song. Yeah. This is a great song. Um, so that brings us to Let the Funk Flow. Over a sampled bed from the JBs, this is just another Bose track, but I think it's pretty dope. The thing that I heard the most from this is I immediately heard Nostradamus by Nas. So, uh, Peter, play a little bit of Let the Funk Flow. All right, now play a little bit of Nostradamus by Nas. I didn't know Nas sampled that. Uh, dude, they didn't even try to hide it. Well, I, <laughs> that's I mean, what I'm saying it's like that was. It goes back to what we were talking about earlier. EPMD as a rap group is one of the most resampled rap groups out there. So when EPMD came back with Back in Business, which was their reunion record, uh, the first single off of that record called Never Seen Before, they sampled an old Public Enemy track, and they're take on it was for once we're going to sample another rap group track because everybody always samples our tracks wow uh and a lot of people have have take not not out of respect you know what i mean but like you know have taken the epmd beats and reworked them and how do you feel uh about someone taking a track from 1992 and using it uh in like a current song like the state of sampling in hip-hop uh, God damn, man. I, I mean, so many of these new beats are so ass. I wish more rappers would do it. <laughs> I just like beats, man, and I've never had a problem with... I like, like, a beat that gets right in you. Like, I'm not talking about... Uh, I'm not talking about frequencies. And, you know, look, I like experimental shit. I like, I like when Cool Keith gets weird, and I like when Missy Elliott gets weird, and a lot of the down south stuff from the late... 90s early aughts got got pretty fucking weird with like the noises they were you know like all the uh um uh manny like fresh outcast. manny fresh and you know outcast definitely and manny fresh and all you know I, I don't dislike weird i i wish you know i just i don't know i think weed culture is so prevalent now everybody's got their own strains everybody's got their own brand all, all this shit i think i think a lot of modern hip-hop is based on being dabbed out you know just yeah. being out to it's, space. Yeah, it is very druggy like. It takes me back to what my what my problem has always been with Pink Floyd and Radiohead. I love those bands. I respect them. 
Am I listening to him sober? Probably not. Mm. Probably not. I put Pink Floyd records on. I have those. I have a few Pink Floyd vinyls. They they're in my on my shelf for mushroom time. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I'm not putting it on just because. It's just I'm gonna fall the fuck asleep. You're not trying man. to listen to to a 14 minute guitar solo and shine on you crazy. Yeah, I mean it's it's when cool. You're doing the but, dishes. You know, it's like it's like you know. I think OK Computer is a phenomenal record, but it's it, my, it's it, my favorite record. It's it, in my top three. It goes on at a very specific time for me. No, I get it. Uh, so it's got a certain mood to it. And I think a lot of rap music now is geared towards getting into that space. And sometimes that can work as its own thing and as an album, but sometimes it's just kind of boring. I get it. All right. You gots to chill. Uh, I just wrote, this song is fire. Uh it was wildly popular on both the West Coast and East Coast, which is basically what you said earlier, thanks to the sample of Zapp's electro-funk hit, 1980's More Bounce to the Ounce. And it probably has one of the most iconic quoted opening lines in hip-hop. Uh, Peter, play a little bit of it for me. Relax your mind, let your conscience be free and get down to the sounds of your PMZ. But you should keep quiet while the MC rap, but if you're tired, then go take a nap. Um, who the fuck are they? Eckhart Tolle? Like, that is some deep fucking present shit. Relax your mind, let your conscience be free. <laughs> get down to the sounds of EPMD. Uh, I just I just want to believe that they're like super spiritual. They're like, come on, brother, put down your pistol, pick up an amethyst crystal. <laughs> this the, song- uh, you really like making up these little they're, hypothetical little lyrics. Yeah, I like yeah, doodads, yeah. man. The, uh, uh, <laughs> no, they rap a lot about guns, too. <laughs> the song is an adamant declaration of EPMD's total dominance. But let's let's break it down to just the title. Uh, you guys to chill. Tell me about a time that you overreacted when someone had to say to you, you guys to chill. It's today. It's, <laughs> it's almost daily. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the least chill person on earth. You know, it's like I'm, I'm wound tight, dude. So people. Uh, but yeah, I was driving today and a lady almost T-boned my car and. She, instead of saying sorry, gave me the finger and started screaming at me, and I screamed back, and then she threw a half-eaten peach at my window. (laughs) (laughs) And I tweeted about it on Twitter, and my friend said, calm down. So literally today. (laughs) Literally today. Yeah. What's another one that that seems to be, you know? I just get wound up. Little shit winds me up, man. It just winds me up, dude. You know? Like, I couldn't, like... Another thing that happened today was the call. All today. I could name you five from today. Okay. But that's not what the show's about. (laughs) (laughs) I just, I can't stand you. When something's not working properly, it just, it drives me fucking crazy. The coffee machine at the gas station didn't work today. Decaf worked perfectly. Uh, Regular coffee kept spitting out hot water. And I just, to me, that's a direct affront from the universe. That's the universe saying fuck you to me because I needed coffee at that. But, you know, and it's ridiculous. Who cares? Walk two feet. There's probably a Starbucks. There's definitely a Starbucks two feet. But also, wait, so at that moment when you were trying to get the coffee, did, like, the counter guy go, hey, hey, you got to chill. <laughs> like, don't Why worry, did you got to have that accent? I, I, didn't, I, just, Racist. I, didn't, I didn't give him an accent. I just, I just said, hey, hey, you got to chill. I no, the guy I was, I mutter a lot and I mumble and, you know. 
People don't always know that I'm furious. Do you have conversations? But they do with know, yourself? like, I'm not going to talk to him. Do you have a lot of conversations with yourself while you're walking? Do you like play out conversations in your head of like some like a big call you got to make? On no shit, honestly, I I had to stop doing that. Wow, it got that bad? It just it it puts you in the frame to fight, you know. And if you're looking for a fight, you're going to get one. And I just had to stop doing that. I had to stop playing out what I thought somebody was going to say to me. Uh, because nine times out of ten, they don't say it. So, you know, uh, for my own sanity, that, that I stopped doing that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that brings us to It's My Thing. Uh, I like the song. Over a loop of the whole darn family's 1976 jam, Seven Minutes of Funk, this was the 12-inch single released a year before in 1987 that launched EPMD's career. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. At the time, the duo were, were known as EP. MD, so yeah. E-P-E-E-M-D. Yes. Uh, but that was changed to avoid, to avoid confusion with the rising popularity of N.W.A.'s Eazy-E. Ever wonder what a punch from Elton John feels like? Or how you'd cope with having turned down the chance to be in Nirvana? Or what signal Keith Richards gives when he wants you to get the hell out of his hotel room? Fans of Too Much Effing Perspective don't have to wonder, because they've heard these exact stories and a jillion others on our podcast. I'm Alex Hoffman, former tour manager for Radiohead. And I'm musician and comedy writer Alan Keller. On the TMEP show, we get guests like Nancy Wilson from Heart, Jeremiah Freights from the Lumineers, and Modern Family's Julie Bowen to tell us things they may have only shared with their therapist, clergy, or a TMZ stringer. So join us on Too Much Effing Perspective. That's E-F-F-I-N-G Perspective. The only podcast you crank up to 11. Hey, what's up? My name's Lurk, and I'm the host of Lamgoat's Van Flip Podcast. Every week, I have in-depth conversations with bands from all over the scene, big and small. We also like to keep our finger on the pulse and showcase up-and-coming bands on the show as well. So come check out Lamgoat's Van Flip Podcast. Uh, great song, but for some reason, they throw in this weird video game noise uh, that just ruined it for me. So uh, play the video game noise for me, Peter. <laughs> Where was I? Oh yes, say a deaf rhyme. It's a breakdown. That's yeah. a that's a that's a fucking drop before EDM even existed. That well, it's a shit drop, dude. Dude, nobody was doing shit like that well, back then. Well, uh, because it was garbage. This beat was sampled by Jay Z. Also, yeah. Uh, ain't no, uh, N blank. The the which was the song that premiered Foxy Brown. Um. But that they sampled this, and when I saw APMD, they opened with this. This is this is classic, dude. All right, you ain't gonna get a criticism out of me. Okay, well, well I'm gonna move on to you're a customer. <laughs> yeah, this one. This you like this nice, one? I love it, dude. It's like a dig. I'm smack, smack me, and I'll smack you back. I love you. Featuring samples of ZZ Top's cheap sunglasses, the Steve Miller Band's Fly Like an Eagle, fuck, and Cool in the Gang's Jungle Boogie. Jesus Christ. Yeah. This was the flip side of 1987's It's My Thing 12-inch single. Uh, Peter, play a little taste. I have the capability to rap and chill, coax and tax and seas who tend to act ill. It's like a big smack. You smack me and I'll smack your back. That is, I mean, that is fucking dope, dude. It's, it's an- the best. It's another MC diss track. Uh, and some fans took that PMD verse to be a shot at Eric B. and Rakim's 1987 song, I Ain't No Joke. It started a rap feud that could have gotten uglier, but EPMD squashed any beef before it got there. Are you a fighter or a peacemaker? 
I'm much more of a peacemaker. I'm, is this I, a now thing? No, but I, I'm I'm a very reactionary dude, and I will get hot, but I'm also quick to be like, all right, I'm sorry, I'm being stupid. And if I see two other people getting that I know, and it's escalating, I'm the I'm I'm usually trying to be like, guys, guys, come on, man, come on. You know, I'm actually a pretty peaceful dude, but but I just, you know, there's something about getting. <sighs> Peaches thrown at you that fucking riles you up. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Disrespect really bothers me. Yeah. I don't like it. It really well, bothers we, me. And people not people not knowing their own boundaries to me is, is a respect issue. Well, I, I can even say that I that I know like you're a very advanced uh human because when when we did the jam and you had called me afterwards just to be like, Hey, I didn't that I didn't vibe with, with that and then I was like, I'm glad you did right. instead of like hold on to it. And then it would have like then it would have put some shit between us, which I would have hated because I love you so much. Right. You know what I mean? That's something that not a lot of people do. Right? They hold on to that shit. I I mean, well, thanks, but I, and I think you're you're an evolved dude as well. I mean, it's just you know, it's just trying to. I I had to learn, man. I mean, it didn't. I wasn't always like that. You know, I've gotten into some really nasty. I come from a very argumentative family, and I love my family dearly, but we're very argumentative, and it's very combative. Um, and I just come from a very, I, I grew up with that. I grew up with spite, uh, and I know it well. And I also, unfortunately, learning from my own mistakes and arguments with people, I know that I know how to really be hurtful with words, and I don't like to do that. You know, I really don't. Um, I've done it on stage, I've done it in person, and it doesn't feel good when somebody starts crying or you know or you can see you actually hurt somebody um and you know it's just it's something i really really try to bite my tongue with now you know i got into a pretty nasty with a friend recently and i was still just like i was i was starting to fire back kind of hard because he was really hitting me with some low blows Mm -hmm. but i was even then i was still like i know what i could say you know what i mean yeah like like i know what i could say and i don't want to say it you know, like it's just, you know, it's just, it's just not a, it doesn't feel good, dude. No, it doesn't. It doesn't feel good, you know, and it doesn't prove anything. Nobody walks away. Yeah, it's, I, I always love it. Dana Gold said it best. He goes, if you say fuck you to somebody, nobody's going to go, oh, yeah, you're right. They're going to say fuck you back. Yeah. And it's just going to escalate the situation. Yeah. Yeah. Nobody's going to walk away going, he, you know, he's right. I should think about this. <laughs> <laughs> All right, probably uh, this song, just with, out of all the ones that were on this record, this is the one that I stopped and I was like, this is the title, The Steve Martin. Now, this was an attempt to start a dance craze like Joeski Loves 1986 Pee Wee Herman tribute song, right. Pee Wee's Dance. Right. It failed. Uh, play the chorus. This. It's not a bad track. The, no, the music, I like the beat. It's just a, a, the subject matter. The subject matter is is pretty thin. It's dude. basically saying to dance like Steve Martin does in The Jerk, I think. Yeah, so I watched a video on how to do the Steve Martin, and uh, let me tell you, the dance sucks balls. It's not, <laughs> it's not nearly as iconic as the Pee Wees or as even like the mashed potato or letting your backbone slip. Um, but this was, a, this was their attempt at creating a fad. Um, 
Do you have any times in your life where you were a part of a very whack fad that you regret now? Uh, yeah, I mean, eighth grade, I had Z Cavaricis. I do not were, even know what that is. <laughs> they were very high-waisted, uh, billowy pants. Like Zubas? No, they were they were to go out in. They were like for the club. Wait, what are they called? I want to look these up. Z Cavarici. Spell it. You fucking got me, dude. I know Z it's Z period Cav space C A. Uh, yeah. Reach. I'm just spelling it phonetically. But they were very high waisted pants, and then they billowed out. Oh, I found. And them. then they would taper back in at the shoe, and you wore those with rayon shirts. Oof. And that was that was the shit, man. Eighth, ninth grade. <laughs> they look like karate pants. Yeah, you go to like underage night at the club, and that was that was your shit. Was that was it. Yeah, you had to, you had to have a pair of Cavaricis on. <laughs> they were expensive. Uh, I mean, for you know, for for what they were and who they were, for, they were expensive. You know, they were for for kids wearing kid wearing them. It was expensive. They were probably only like fifty bucks. <laughs> Z Cavari. I've, ne yeah. I've never heard of these. I've never they were heard huge. of these. Huge. I had a I had a phase. You know, I always like to say my raver phase. That's that's the one that I was. You know, there are no pictures of me from the rave days thank god because there were no camera phones um and i always like to say this joke on stage it's funny if if there were pictures of me from my rave days because i would always be with the hottest girl you've ever seen raver girls were some of the most beautiful girls because of the mm -hmm. way they dressed it was always very very sexy it was like they'd have like on like like a crop top with their belly exposed yeah. and like you know like little like pants made out of muppets that are hanging low and then like angel wings yeah and a pacifier and then stickers all over them but the problem was i was dressed exactly like her so uh i am so happy you were a raver, raver lesbian i was a raver <laughs> lesbian <laughs> All right, uh, get off the bandwagon. Uh, here's one last whack MC diss track on the record. Uh, this might be probably my favorite beat yeah, this on beat. this record. Because uh, yeah. so here, Peter, play when the beat kicks in. Hey yo 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 yo. I be the P I be the twice and twice and twice. I be the E double E double E. And the place and the place. You know what I be, man? We in here, man. Dude, this is some this is some nine inch nail shit. Yeah. Like that's what I heard. I I heard like fucking something darker than anything that had been on the record previous. Well, when they came out, they were on Sleeping Bag Records, and Sleeping Bag I think did do. Nine Inch Nails? I don't think they did Nine Inch Nails, but no, TVT or whatever was, right? TNT, whatever. But Sleeping Bag did do a lot of like like electronic dance kind of stuff. So I'm wondering if, I don't know who produced that track, but I'm wondering if, you know, they kind of stumbled upon, you know, a synth sound at, a, at the Sleeping Bag studio that like, you know, some like house... DJ from England was fucking using. I mean, I, you know I, I, mean? I, I I'm I'm hearing something. That nothing on this sounds like it's from the previous songs. Right. So yeah, I mean, this is no, it's this is produced by Eric and Parrish. Um, I, I don't. It doesn't say anything like that it was influenced by anything. But that's why I think it was probably one of my favorite songs on the record because it just felt so different yet still in the vein of EPMD with the rap styles. All right. But speaking of bandwagons, some listeners might not know that you started off in a comedic music act. Tell me about yeah, your I've, musical upbringing. 
Uh, my upbringing? Well, just, you know, like your musical history. If I, I was in DeShackles, then I was in LED. I did, well, which act are you referring to? I don't know. I had a couple. I mean, I was in, uh, my friend Jim Pinkstone and I had a rap, sex rap group called Deep. Um, that was a, it was, it was comedic and it was just like make, it was, it was a parody of sex rap. It was just making fun of so just like how ooh, graphic sex, okay. it was, no, it was nasty. I mean, oh, okay. we, cause if you're going to make fun of it, you got to really exaggerate it. Yeah. And sex rap, we were, our starting point was two live crew. Oof. So you're, you know, you're going, you're going pretty far to the left of the girl. I see things <laughs> between you and me. No. Deep. Dig like a colonoscopy. <laughs> no, no, that's good. Uh, uh, Who rhymes uh, colonoscopy? With- but it was, it was, it was, it was very dirty. Uh, but then we would, we, we, we actually did a, a run of shows, and we kind of saw that the fans were laughing for the wrong reasons, and we were like, we can't do this, man. People don't get that this is this is supposed to be a commentary, and it's supposed to be funny. Yeah, but it's supposed to be funny commentary for the right reason you know and yeah. we we're just like this is bad so we stopped doing that uh but then i had another group called salsa windfall that was me and my friend paul chell and uh we have we put a record out and uh i don't know if i would say it was comedy music but it was definitely along the lines of like ween that kind of stuff you know the weirder they might be giant stuff um and that was fun and we actually have a record a new record new meaning five years old on the shelf that we just still haven't put out that i'm actually very proud of and I just don't know what to do with it. You know, you do comedy. I'm I'm working on putting these comedy records out and touring, and then you try to drop a fucking music thing in the middle of it, and nobody cares. People are like, what? What is, you know what I mean? Like, I'm looking at Johnny Depp. I'm like, if he can't get people to care about his band, <laughs> then how the fuck is Joe DeRosa <laughs> going to get? <laughs> yeah. Like, people are going to be like, this sounds like five years ago. What yeah. the fuck? Billy Bob Thornton is playing, like, state fairs. I'm like, if he's struggling, I'm not going to try to, you know, fuck it. Did you always, was it a hard choice to choose between comedy and music? I mean, I I was gung-ho on music. That's what I wanted to do. I wanted to rap. Uh, I was in hardcore bands. I was in all kinds of musical acts, but my my main thing was I wanted to rap. I really did. I produced beats, and and, uh, and I was pretty good at rapping. Uh, But I just couldn't catch... It was just too against the grain. When you do something and it's just so against the grain after a while, you start to go, well, I don't know. And then I stumbled into comedy, and it started immediately moving in the right direction. And I was just like, I think I'm supposed to be doing this. And I also had gotten tired of trying to collaborate with people. I just got sick of it. And back then, you couldn't make a record on a laptop. How, well, what was it your, was expensive. You was, had to buy programs, and they were fucking expensive. What was your pitch like to try to get somebody to do uh, a guest spot? On, you're like, hey, Frank, how you doing, buddy? Uh, For what? To, hey, how do you feel uh, coming over to my house, spitting a rhyme? <laughs> I didn't know any. Well, that's the thing. I didn't really know any rap. I knew I knew two dudes that rapped, and one of them I was in the group with. Yeah, so that's impossible. Yeah, so, I mean, you never met. I never met a lot of rappers, and there weren't a lot of venues where I grew up and where I was living after college to do rap. There was There were actually... When I moved down to Austin, there were a lot of outlets for it, but everybody I was meeting was pissing me off because everybody was on that white boy uh, hippie fucking hip hop bullshit, and I just I wasn't feeling it. What is that? I don't. It was just it was kind of what we were talking about earlier. Their their main focus was was pot culture, 
Yeah. And their skateboard and and uh you know, what tape what tape should they have bought at the hip hop spot that week and what 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 should they be listening to? And I just I didn't jive with them. I didn't like it. It wasn't it wasn't my speed. And uh and I actually did do a couple records with this guy down there. His name was um Cusser, DJ Cusser. He wasn't he wasn't a white dude. I'm not clumping him in with the white guy stuff. But uh we did some stuff together and then he took the tracks and like flipped them all around and fucked everything up and and I called him and I go, "Bro, what are you doing with this dude? You it's the rhymes are all off beat and shit like it's it's what are you doing?" And he was real like mind to fucking do with what I want and he was a real asshole about it so we stopped talking and right around that time I was I, I joined a, my last band that I was ever in and like that I was trying you know because they talked me into trying out and the whole experience was just fucking I, I got in to the band and then the whole f- after it was an awful fucking experience and as that was all happening I'm sitting there doing open mics in Philly as a comic and people are coming up to me who are doing comedy professionally saying, you're really funny, man. And it just started to become obvious <laughs> which way I was. better comic. <laughs> which way I was supposed to yeah, go. Yeah, yeah. You know? All right. That takes us to DJ K LaBoss. So this is a DJ only track with cutting and scratching on songs like LTD, uh, Michael Jackson, and more. It was obviously influenced by Run DMC giving Jam Master J his own tra- track on an album. And this was just, uh, for me, uh, too long. It was like four minutes long. This should have been like two minutes. And this should have been a fire two minutes, and they should have called it a day. You got to understand, this is still a time when, I mean, when hip-hop first started, the DJ was the star, so... We're still we're still in that period a little bit. No, I understand, you know? like, but it's so still a four minute gave, track. You know, Ice T just... did it for Evil E. Like it's like you know, uh, Terminator X speaks with his hands on on Nation of Millions. Like, funny, you funny. Know, you gave you gave the DJ track for sure. But funny thing, after this record, Kayla Boss was successfully replaced by DJ Scratch. Have you ever been fired from a job that you loved? That I loved? No. No. Every time I've been fired, it's because I don't want to fucking be there anymore. <laughs> give me, give me a good one. Give me a good fire. Uh, I was, I was, uh, when I first moved to New York to do comedy, I still had the last real job I ever had was I, I was, uh, I worked at a porn distribution warehouse. So I would work from a, de- I had a desk in a basement of this warehouse that housed porn, and they had it in in bulk, and uh. I would sit at this desk. I was allowed to smoke at my desk. I had a boom box at my desk. And I just had to sit there and call porn shops and say, do you need four more copies of, you know, cum guzzler, whatever the fucking name <laughs> Drain were. my balls 17. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, that was it. It was just like, it was literally cold calling porn sales. Who out there? Yes, hello out there, everyone. I'm Hal Schwartz. And I'm Flynn McClain. Together, we host None But the Brave, a podcast dedicated to the music and career of Bruce Springsteen. Bruce and E Street Band are on tour right now for the first time in six years, and we're taking a detailed look at what's happening on stage in our bi-weekly episodes. We've also been recently joined by some very exciting guests, including rock journalist Warren Zanes and Stephen Hyden, Backstreet's Magazine founder Charles Cross, and Barstool's Kirk Menahan. If you're a diehard Springsteen fan, this is the show for you. So please subscribe to Nimbut the Brave on your favorite podcasting platform, and we hope to see you further on up the road. Thank you so much! 
We'll be seeing you. And uh, it's kind of fun, though, because you could have fun with the titles. You can make them up or, you know, what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, honestly, it wasn't that bad of a gig, but I just didn't give a fuck about it. Yeah. And uh, and I honestly think this was uh, a subliminal thing. I was do I was doing comedy at the time. And um, I remember the last day I was at work that these. Got the guys that owned the place, they were like, hey, man, we see on your resume, uh, you work in, uh, you know how to do the editing and camera and all that. Why is a guy going to have that voice? Because he did. Okay, well. He's, he did. Oh, well. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I do. <laughs> and he's like, he's like, because we want to get in here to actually producing the movies. And like, maybe you could you could help us. We, we should talk. And I was like, and I remember in that moment being like, yeah, I, I guess so. Like, that's, that's easy money. And then I went, I, this is no no bullshit. I went home that night. I did a set at the Boston. I was out super fucking late with Okerson. Um, next day, I was too tired to get up and go in, you know, because it had been like two weeks of that, and I couldn't do it. I could. I just didn't want to. And I called out sick. And then that <laughs> that night, Jay was like, you should probably call out sick another day just so it looks real. And I was like, okay. So I, <laughs> <laughs> That's good logic. So I called out sick a second day, and then I went in on that. And then I went in on Friday, and they fired me as soon as I got in. And they're like, "You can't call out sick two days in your first two weeks." And I was like, well, "Why didn't you just fire me when I was at home? Why did you make me come all the way in?" They're like, "We thought that was disrespectful." And I was like, "No, it's disrespectful. Maybe I'm all the way to fuck in here right now. I, I could have just been home." So I didn't give a fuck. I was so happy. I left. I didn't care at all. And I think that that was my subconscious brain being like, don't go down the wrong road right now. You're moving in the right direction. Keep, yeah, stay the course. Get don't, out. Don't start producing porn yeah, films. Yeah. With Get that. out of this place. <laughs> Get out of this place. And I did. And that night, I, that night that I got fired, I was sitting with Jay on our balcony in Queens and we were smoking cigarettes. And I said, I don't know what I'm going to do. I need money. And he goes, you're a comic. Just be a comic. And I never had a job again. Somehow, magically, I never had a job again. I can't explain it. But just <laughs> at the moment I was going to be broke, yeah, ass That's out, great. Bobby Kelly or somebody would call me, or Keith, it's stupid, always like, you want to open for me at a college? Pays 300 you know, and it would just save my it's ass. It's always like that. It's always like that when you, for, I feel like for the real motherfuckers, man, it's like I always feel like there are those moments where I was just, it was like, I don't know what I'm going to do, and then something would come up. Yeah. Because you're you're a good person and you're funny and people want to work with you and so the universe knows. Well, thanks, buddy. The universe also knows that Jane is the last song on the record. Now this song begins the longest running saga in hip hop. Yeah, the group has a song on every album that continues. However, disjointedly, this story about Jane. On the first one, it's about Parrish getting hooked up with Jane and then getting right down to business. When it's over, she leaves him a note saying the next time he needs to be better, bigger, stronger, and much faster. Wow. Thanks, Jane. Yeah. And then Jane, too, she comes back, and he doesn't recognize her. And uh, I think it's – or does E find her in the second one? I forget. I think Jane is on my sofa is the lyric. Because, I mean, they're, cause they're, and they're like, get out. Get the fuck out of here. It's Jane again. Then the third one – a dude moves into their neighborhood named Jay, 
and starts hanging around with them and they think he's the shit then they realize it's jane in disguise <laughs> and then pmd fucks her <laughs> and then uh who killed jane is she gets killed Oh. On the fourth record. Poor and then, Jane. And then on the and she comes back to life. And fifth record, she's I guess she wasn't dead. They're leaving the station. They realize she's not dead. Yeah, they keep doing Jane's. I don't remember what the other two are. <laughs> That's great. Something along these I, lines. I love that you filled it in. Yeah. Uh, do you have any on-again, off-again relationships? And you don't have to give names, uh, but just somebody that you just can't quit. No. No, like like Brokeback Mountain, like yeah. like in love, like I just can't quit. No, <laughs> no, it doesn't have to be love, but it could be love. No, I mean no, it's, I mean you know, no, I mean I look sometimes me and an old flame will, will link up randomly from out of nowhere, but I mean it's not like I wouldn't say I have a, you know, I'm a loose I'm a loose goose, you know, uh, I'm a free bird, you know what I mean? <laughs> All right, let's do some facts. Uh, Ready for facts? Oh, yeah. Give me some facts. Oh, yeah. Facts and facts and facts. The facts. Uh, the group was signed to their first record label by A&R man and label mate Curtis Mantronic of the Electro-Funk Pioneer. That is... He was he in Mantronics? The no, group he, Mantronics? Yeah, from Mantronics. Whose name is Curtis Mantronic? Was that his real name, or was that did they just do like a Ramones thing? I'm just who is this? Oh, it's uh, Billy McAndroy. (laughs) Come meet him, Derek the Robot, and (laughs) Laura Artificial Intelligence. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I don't know why I find that funny because he's a fucking Decepticon. That's why it's a crazy last name. (laughs) Curtis Mantronic. I'm Curtis Mantronic. Yes, I am. Peter, uh, play uh, minute 308 of the Mantronic's 1985 song, Needle to the Groove. Who was the first established comedian to help you out? Uh, well, Okerson. I mean, well, no, two, two Ray Gordon and and the legendary Wid were the two guys in Philly that that gave me the push I needed to start making a little cash in Philly and have the confidence to move up to New York when Okerson said move up to New York. So I got I got to give it to those two because they they were uh they were professional. Yeah, I mean, Wid had been at it forever, but like two Ray definitely at that point was making his living as a headlining comic and. And he was the guy, and he still is the guy in Philly. So it's like those were the guys. They were the two that gave me this, the leg up, you know? Yeah, I feel like that's the most important part, uh, almost getting that, not just that seal of approval, or but I always like to call it like an apprenticeship. Right. You know, where the bigger comic is like they see something in you, they see that you might be a little lost and you need some direction, and then they're like, all right, let's steer this guy in the right thing. That's what I feel like we need because to be a blacksmith, you have to study under another blacksmith. Mm-hmm. You can't just start whittling fucking swords and be like, yeah, ah, yeah. this is, this is, it's, I mean, it's in a circle, but it's a sword. Yeah, I, mean, I mean, most of what I learned, most of what I know I learned from being on the road with Burr when I was younger. Uh, you know, so that was, that was basically an apprenticeship, you know. But yeah, there's been a countless number of guys that have, schooled me in different ways and helped me out and you know it's a it's i'm lucky to have a long list yeah i I completely agree all right uh 
all of their eight albums feature the word business in the title. Um, tell our listeners one word that describes you and why. I don't know why I said verb. <laughs> uh, 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 honestly, personal, which is bad for business. <laughs> but I'm a personal dude, man. Like, I like to actually, the people in my circle, I want to know who they are. I want to know about them. You know, and I want to know that I can really relate to them on a fundamental level. And when I can't, it's hard for me to stay close with them, you know. Uh, but also, I've gotten in my older age much better at having extreme differences with somebody and be able to put it aside in the in the interest of just just not even friendship necessarily, but just just keeping the peace and 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 grace. So. You know, I per- personal is a big word for me. You know, it's like it's like I'm really hurt when somebody that I trust and love does something fucked up to me. You know, it's not easy for me to be like, well, fuck that dude then. Uh, I I it 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 really hits me like in my core on on a lot of different levels. You know, and I come from a really tight family, and you know, it's very East Coast shit. It's one of the reasons I don't like Hollywood. You know, because it's so impersonal out here. It's fa- it's phony. It's I mean, I'm, I'm not saying that as an L.A. shot like L.A. so fake. I don't mean it like that. I just mean like the the nature of the business in Hollywood has to be superficial. You can't afford to invest too much in somebody because that person's going to be gone, or you're going to get. You can't let the feelings you have about a human being interfere with the feelings you have about their work or the project or, you know, and at the end of the day, they need to make money. So that's why they keep their friends out of project, whatever the fuck it is. It's it's like, but that's the thing that's never really rubbed me the right way. Whereas when I go back to New York, the Hollywood aspect of the job is still very much that. But the one nice change uh, uh, for me there is I can go to several comedy clubs where the comics and the booker and the manager and the waitstaff and me were all in it together. It's, there's, there's a loyalty there that supersedes how good was your last set or did you sell this many tickets for us tonight? And that's important to me, you know, uh, when it comes to, you know, your art form. You know, I know a lot of people don't think stand-up is art. I do. Um, and I think in your art form, you need to have a little bit of that, which is why I think, you know, again, to bring it all to a full circle close, my favorite rappers are my favorite rappers because they respect that aspect about certain rappers. And they don't like other rappers that don't have that. Like they don't like rappers that are strictly about, you know, EPMD touts the business thing a lot and they definitely stand by it, but you can tell from their lyrics and 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 from their personalities and interviews and what they say and their philosophies they put a lot of stake in the personal and that's why you make a song like crossover to say like i respect these rappers i don't respect those rappers because if they did if they didn't have that soul in them if they didn't have that emotional uh weight in them they would say hey god bless you for trying to make a crossover track and make money good for you you're just trying to make money who cares and that's not who they are, you know, at least in my opinion. Um, and none of my favorite rappers are. They all, there's something more to it because it's an art form to them and they respect it. 
Yeah. Final thoughts on this record. Uh, I mean, it's just, I mean, look, we've said everything we could say uh, that's any deeper than what I'm about to say, but just on a basic music fan level, it's a fucking classic. Just get it. <laughs> I mean, it's a classic. It should, there's a reason it's on this list. It's, yeah. it's a classic record, man. These dudes are, in my opinion, the greatest to ever do it. They're the truest, they're, they're hip hop personified. So if you like rap in any way or have an interest in rap as a whole and not just contemporary sense, it would just be dumb to not get this record. <laughs> I'm jealous of you that you get to hear it for the first time. I know. It was great. You know? It was great. Uh, Joe, I love you so much. Thanks, buddy. So, so much, man. Thank you for doing this. I love this. you, too. I wasn't lying. I told you he knows way more about this record than 99% of our guests, and that's why he's the shit. For all things Joe DeRosa, go to his website, joederosainfo.com, and you can find him on all social media at Joe DeRosa Comedy. Don't forget, listen to his two podcasts. We'll see you in hell and uninformed with Bill Burr. He is a man, he's a myth, he's the teen sensation, guys. I'll be posting Joe's Spotify mixtape, and you can find that on our website at the500podcast.com. If you want to email us, you got thoughts, you you like what we're doing, you hate what we're doing, email us, tell us, 500podcast at gmail.com, and follow me on all social media at Josh Adam Myers. Please subscribe to The 500 on Spotify or your favorite platform, anywhere you listen to podcasts, and if you're listening on Apple, leave a review. Rate us. Do all the kashlukis. Now, we just listened to EPMD from 1987. Here, for our new music this week, Matt Pinfield, our music director, selected Skizzy Mars. Skizzy is a rapper, songwriter, producer from Harlem, New York, who has built a strong following on Spotify. He came up with his friends Jay-Z and Logic, who became big hip-hop stars. He always cites EPMD and Biggie as the artists who got him addicted to hip-hop. Listen to his new single, Gift and a Curse, Featuring Young Pinch on Spotify. I don't know why that made me laugh. Just saying Young Pinch. Because I had no idea this was coming up. And I saw that his name was Young Pinch. That's dope. I mean, I'm not shitting on it. It just made me giggle. Check out the link on our website, the500podcast.com. And if you guys are in a band and you want your music played on the 500 because you were so influenced by the album or artist we're breaking down that's on the list, send us your music, guys. I want it. I want to play it on this. Send us your music to 500podcast at gmail.com. Make sure you put the album and the artist that influenced you in the subject line. Kadooki. Next week is John Prime Week with his 1971 self-titled album. So y'all got some homework to do. Listen to the album on Spotify. Stay fleecy. I don't think it overstates things to say that the Beatles were the greatest gift to entertainment and culture of our time, a secular religion, if you will, with their universal appeal and demonstrable impact on people's lives. I'm Robert Rodriguez, host of Something About the Beatles. 
With every episode, I speak with historians, musicians, artists, and Beatle witnesses, all in the service of fresh insights into the most joyous cultural entity the world has ever known. I hope you'll join me and listen to Something About the Beatles, now at Evergreen and wherever you get your podcasts. Hey everyone, this is Tuck from Fit for a King, an off-road minivan. Every week I bring you fun interviews alongside your favorite metalcore entertainers with my new podcast, Get Tucked. Join me every Monday with bands like Counterparts, Crystal Lake, like Moths to Flames, and many more. We play unsigned and undiscovered bands, deep dive into each artist's history, and of course provide the greatest breakdowns in current metalcore. Tune in to Get Tucked every Monday, out now through Sound Talent Media. Next Chapter Podcasts.